It's been good to be here in, in Loma Linda and talk about relationships. <clears throat> and let's just bow our heads and ask the Lord to lead today as we uh, again talk together. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that we can come at this noon hour. And we remember that woman at the well that you met in the middle of the day and who came to realize who you were, who she was, what your purpose was, what her purpose was in life. And uh, as a result, she reached the 10 cities around her and we still read about her today. We ask that we would go from this place with a sense of power and purpose and of your presence. And we come in your name. Amen. Okay, this week we talked about relationships. The first day we talked about God. Why? Why in the world would we be in relationship with God? And I kind of share my personal testimony about how I came to be a believer in God uh, and how uh, that journey uh, was you know, very specific to me and let me know that there was a God. He did exist. He was interested in my life. And uh, he not only knew me, he wanted me to know him. And uh, it was a real blessing. Then secondly, we talked about... Um, he, uh, what do we talk about secondly? Uh, parents, yeah, that's right. Parents, how? How in the world do you get along with your parents? That was for those of you that don't get along with your parents. Those of you that do, we were just saying, you know, take a break and rest. And uh, we talked about that. We talked about bitterness. We talked about how sometimes parents, we can't get along with them, but that doesn't mean we can't have uh, balance that doesn't we have to live in the midst of bitterness we can take the initiative and at the end of time God wants to turn the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the fathers to the sons and bring healing and I talked about how that happened in my experience as well then yesterday we talked about peers who talked about friendships and uh, I just shared with you you know uh kind of my journey with friendships and the pain of trying to do things my way with friendships and then the pleasure of learning how to do things God's way and I'm still in that process I still make mistakes every day so basically I've been able to come here and share about you know my mistakes so hopefully you've learned (laughs) vicariously from that so you don't have to repeat them Um, so then today are you normals is our, is our title today. But frankly, I couldn't think of another title when they called me up, so I just thought that would be gripping. But I remember when I was working as a nurse, I'd go into a room and people would say to me as I was, you know, especially a nursing student, they would say to me, are you a male nurse? And to me, that was somewhat offensive because, uh, you know, it kind of looked obvious, I thought. So, I, you know, I would kind of look, yeah, I, I, I believe so. Um, you know, what would give you an indication that I'm not, you know. So we, we'd have some interesting discussions. And, uh, you know, some people say, well, that's not normal, you know. So I, I got used to being abnormal um, in, in some ways. I can tell you a lot of stories about that, but I won't waste time with that. But here's the thing. I believe that there's different definitions of normal. I mean, if... If I ask you what normal is, you might say something, someone else says something else. But ultimately, if you want to have a definition of normal, you got to have an absolute. you got to have something to look at that can, can give you the, the baseline, right? This entire university is based on the fact that there are baselines. 
There would not be a Loma Linda universe. There would be no science unless there was something normal. There was a norm. And there would not be any ability to come up with that norm unless there was an absolute. How many of you would agree with that? How many would not agree with that? Good. So our normal is all together. Now look, here's something interesting. I don't want to get into this philosophical stuff too much, but I would just say this to you. There would not be science as we have it today unless there was a Judeo-Christian milieu. Why do I say that? Because in the cultures where God was seen as capricious and un, uh, unpredictable and imprecise, the, the, the people just didn't know what to do. And so, you know, it might be God doing this or that, and they were always reactionary, and they never could reason from cause to effect. So I've got a whole list of these quotes on my computer, but I forgot my cords. You know, I sometimes forget very important things. Harvard... Cambridge, Oxford, all these places, these eminent historians, they say, without this understanding of God that came from the Judeo-Christian context, there would be no, there would have never been this idea of we can discern absolutes and come to know them. So what you have here at Loma Linda University and any university is a reflection Of the belief that there is a God and that there are precise absolutes. How many of you are with me? Good. Now, I want to suggest to you that you really can't have a, you can't have science without norms and you can't have relationships without norms. You can't have meaningful relationships. You're going to have relationships that just don't make it unless you have a norm. And I want to suggest to you the same norm that we need in science is the norm that we need in our relationships. How many of you are with me? In fact, the exciting thing is that God himself, according to the Bible, is a relationship. I just find that intriguing. Three in one. Yamakad. And... He, he, his essence is the foundation. That's interesting. In Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. That word one is the same as Hebrew, in the Hebrew as Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, The two shall become one flesh. Isn't that interesting? So this relationship with God, this, this idea of who God is, if we know Him, if we come to know Him, you know how it says, Adam knew his wife Eve. It forms the basis of all the other relationships. Can you see how important it is to come to know God? All right. Now, God's big desire, and his big desire for my life was, when I was out of balance, he says, how can I get Don back to normal? <laughs> Don is like out there. He's ba- I remember this patient one day. I was taking care of him in, in a psychiatric unit. I, the, the, the unit I worked on had a closed section, a locked section, and an open section. And I liked the locked session better. I liked to work with the, the patients who were on that locked unit because they were more like me. <laughs> we, we just had so much in, in, in common. And 
then also I, I always knew that they were somewhere, you know, there. They didn't escape. And I was playing with this herbophrenic, schizophrenic, chess. He just loved to play chess. And he, he, he played chess with me every day. I'd go in. I mean, this, this was a great job, I thought. Look at this. I come here, I play chess. Hey, you know, I do ping pong, a little aggression therapy, you know. No one got well, but that's okay. So anyway, I was there, and I was, and I was playing with this guy's name was Angelo. Angelo, he would just in the middle of these games, he'd start crying. <laughs> he'd be just crying. Just, just his limbic system would just go crazy. He'd start bawling. You know, and I thought, you know, it's just his disease. You know, it's okay. You know, Angelo would always beat me at chess. I only beat him, I think, once. And that was because I moved his piece when he went to the bathroom. <laughs> anyway, guy was a brilliant chess player. Finally, you know, I, I asked him, I said, Angelo, why is it that you start crying? And he, and he couldn't articulate things well, you know. He didn't, he said, I don't know. And then I said, is it because you realize I'm about to lose? And he goes, yes! <laughs> he was crying about four moves before the end of every game. I started to put it together. He was four to five to ten moves ahead of me. And when he saw that I was about to move the wrong way, he goes, <laughs> When I discovered by looking at Angelo, the schizophrenic, that he was starting, his limbic system was overwhelming, his frontal lobe, and he began to cry. I said, oh, I'm not moving there. The emotions of Angelo saved me. Well, I still lost every single time, but I started to come closer to winning. The Bible ends with this picture of God weeping for His children. The end of Christ's life, He was weeping for His children. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! I would that you come to me, but... In other words, I want you to get back to normal, but you're not listening, you're going to be doomed. And at the end of time, the same thing happens. Let me show you why I think that. What I want to talk to you about today is getting back to normal is not only coming to know God and being in a relationship with Him, which is the foundation of science and every other relationship. It's not only taking care of relationships with our parents. It's not only taking care of our relationships with our peers. But I want to suggest something to you. Coming to know God means to come into relationship with His macro plan for getting back to, to normal. And I want to suggest to you that macro plan is called the Ecclesia. You know what the Ecclesia is? Ec means out. Kaleo means to call. Called out. And it's the fancy word for church. I want to tell you today that I would not be here today. This university would not be here today. Science would not be here today without what we call the church. I want to tell you that I love the church. I want to tell you that I am now beginning to understand only faintly 
at age 43 how powerful and wonderful the church is. I want to tell you that I can't defend everything a church does. I want to tell you it makes mistakes. It's feeble and defective. But I want to tell you that even though it is, it is God's powerful movement that he says the gates of hell will not prevail against. You know what it means when it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it? (laughs) The gates were the place where people made judgments and brought all kinds of suspicions and everything and all the theories And that gates were right there in the wall that surrounded the city. And all of the things that were said about the city and the wall, it's not going to prevail. God's church will go through. Amen. And if we're in that church, in relationship with Him, in relationship with our parents, in relationship with our peers, we're going to have optimum happiness. After After I came to know God... And I started to get things right with my parents and then with my peers. I was drawn to the church. But I didn't want to go to the church my dad went to. He was a fourth gener- or a third generation Adventist minister, and now I'm a fourth one, so you know I ultimately got there. But I didn't want to go there. I said, I'm just going to be a Christian. It just matters to be a Christian. All you need to do is believe. So I started to go to these different churches. I went to this one church where everybody spoke in tongues and they jumped over the chairs and the pews and different things in this. And I was there and I was like, you know, I was trying to really get into it. They were like praying over me like I would get the spirit. One guy beat me with a hymnal on the head. And this other guy, he jumped over the pew and he just kind of misjudged something. And he ran right into the wall. Boom! He laid down on the ground and he started speaking in tongues and moaning. And for some reason, I'm not trying to minimize this, but for some reason it just didn't work for me. So I I didn't go there. Then I went to another church. Oh, man. I went to this one church that was a church, and I went in and I had my hands in my pockets, and these three nuns told me to take my hands out of my pockets. And and then they kicked me out, so that didn't work work too, too long. I went to all these churches. At the same time, I was trying to, I was just trying to figure out what this relationship would be. I had this drawing power. And you know, sometimes people go shopping for churches on the basis of their desires. Instead of God's desire. At the same time, I was struggling with these different things. And I went to Grand Rapids to get a job in Michigan. And I got a job. I got a job. Interview I was going to be a flight nurse on their flight team there. You know, I'd done the ACLS and all that other stuff, I worked a little bit. and So I was going to be a flight nurse, and I got signed up, and I got hired. Then I went to Chicago, and I was down there, kind of with my buddies, though I told you about the other day, that we're all atheists. We were still friends. And uh, I was down there. When I was down there, I was lifting this cast iron tub with my friend Les. Why have more when you can work with Les, I used to say. And as I was lifting that cast iron tub, uh, he dropped it. And I thought I could catch a cast iron tub. Um... Don't do that. Uh, did anyone need me to say that? I I caught it, and, <laughs> and then, you know, that was it. All of a sudden, I had this pain in my back, and it was a bad pain, so I laid down. Next day, it still was there. I went back two weeks later to the hospital job in Butterworth, and I got there, and they said... You know, in the last couple of weeks, Mr. McIntosh, we've, uh, we've put into practice this idea of a pre-employment physical. 
that and part of our pre-employment physical is rather you've already had your physical, but we want to do a lumbar spine on each of you. We want to just take an x-ray, make sure your back's okay, and I'm going, oh, great. So they take a picture and they find a, what do they call it, a spondylolisthesis? They find a little bit of movement of the bone there, and this person sees it, and then they tell the, the radiologist, says, yes, that's what it is, and I didn't get the job. I was like, Oh man, this is ridiculous. So I went to the human resources department. I pleading with this lower echelon human resources person, please give me the job, you know? And she's like, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I mean, this and that. I said, well, who's your, who's your leader? So I go to the next one. No, can't have the job. Next one. No, I didn't, I, I didn't get the job. So I ended up in a psychiatric hospital working. You guys thought I ended up in a psychiatric house, didn't you? And I was working with the pediatric adolescents at night. So I was working at night. You know, they're all asleep. I'm sitting there in this job. Man, I tell you what. After I worked there for like two weeks, I was like, if I had to do this the rest of my life, I'd go loony. I'm just sitting here eating potato chips and drinking cheap root beer, talking to these people that have done this for 30 years. This is nothing. I can't do this. And I started to get agitated. So... This lady was there. This girl went there. Man, she was cute. She was like, man. At least at that time, I noticed those things. I don't now because, you know, of my wife. So, and that's true. The Lord's worked on that with me, too. You guys are saying, what? No. My wife is my wife, right? There's a value to a closed mind. Can you say amen? Amen? Better learn that, guys. And gals, too. So anyway, I was attracted to this person. She starts talking to me. We start talking about religion. <clears throat> By the way, talking about religion with some of the opposite sex alone is not a good idea usually because you get really intimate about different things. But anyway, so she was getting interested in me in different things. And then she said, why don't you go to church with me on Sunday? Well, I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist. And I said, I don't, I don't know. So we started to debate about it and this and that. And I went back and I, you know, I was just new at this. I started asking my dad stuff. We go back and debate. Pretty soon, all these people were debating with me about the Sabbath in this place. And I kind of enjoyed this. I was like, man, this is finally I have something to live for when I go to work besides root beer and potato chips and an occasional Thorazine. So anyway, about that same time, I was like, still, I, I knew that this was relationship with this girl was not right, so I cut that off. And then, of course, you know how it gets tense. Oh, they don't want to see you, and it's all like everybody's upset. Oh, man, they can't just walk in around. I said, I don't even want to work here anymore. So I just think, I go, what am I supposed to do? I was looking at going to law school, back to medical school, maybe an MBA. I was looking at all those programs. I was interviewing for all those different things. And then I said, you know what? I had this kind of like idea that I should get involved with looking again at the Adventist church. I said, well, if I'm going to look at that again, i got to ask the questions of people that maybe really know something. So I decided I'd go to the seminary, not because I was uh, an Adventist, but because I thought I'd want to ask them questions. So I said, i got to get a job down there, but my back's messed up, you know. Maybe I should just stay where I am. But right when I was thinking that, my friend that I had known six months before in this hospital down in St. Joseph, Michigan, called me up, actually Benton Harbor, Michigan. She called me up and she said, Don, I just found your phone number. Where have you been for the last eight months? So I said, man, I've been... I've been through the ringer, you know. I 
kind of, I didn't tell her too much because I didn't want her to freak out. But, and she goes, we'd love to have you come back and work. I said, man, Gina, I hurt my back. She goes, don't worry about that. I'll set your physical up. <laughs> she got me this physical with this doctor who didn't like to touch or talk to people. <laughs> He did not like to touch or talk to people, so I'm in. I get this job. At the same time, I call up my other friend, whose dad is a professor at the Andrews University, and I said to my friend, I said, look, your dad, I need, I need a recommendation for the seminary. And she goes, does my dad know you? I said, well, he knows you, and you know me. So for somehow, amazingly, um, uh, I don't want to cast any reflection on anybody, but I got this recommendation, and so for others. And then I got into the seminary. Now, don't think less of the seminary because of that, but I got in. And I was not, uh, I had not made a decision to be an Adventist. Uh, anyway, so I got into the seminary. I'm sitting there, and I'm in this, and all of a sudden I come alive. I'm asking all these questions. I am arguing with these professors. I'm saying, what about this? What about that? What about the other? Pretty soon, after about two weeks, I realized that other people were thinking besides me. So I just started to shut up. And begin to read, go to the library. The thing that really brought it together for me, though, I was thinking about, man, what is the difference? Look, I started to look at every doctrine of the Adventist church. And you know what I found out? Every doctrine, at least in my estimation, and it's only grown, is a solid, logical, consistent doctrine. I mean, my library at my church, it's organized around the eight S's. Scriptures, second coming, salvation, Sabbath, state of the dead, spiritual gifts, Christian standards. I've got them all right there, just all the S's, you know. And I, I've got all these, I just read and read. But the thing that really got me was this doctrine of the sanctuary. You know, I'd been into philosophy. And, and I had this matrix that I'd made of all the different things the philosophers said about different things all along. Talk about mumbo jumbo. They never said the same thing about anything. But then as I went through this doctrine of the sanctuary, I kind of in my mind put it along the matrix and every single thing they said were were considering that doctrine of the sanctuary was also considering, but it was a complete, harmonious, complete system of truth, like it says in Great Controversy, page 423. And I began to see that and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then this teacher was teaching on it. And in the middle of class, I started to cry. I don't usually cry. But what struck me was, here is a complete system of truth. I went out because I was crying. And everybody says, what happened? Did your mom die or this? I said, no, it's just beautiful, the sanctuary of the Lord. You know, oh, man. So several of my friends come out. Bill, he just goes, I think Don lost it. You know, I heard him say to the other people, what's happening? Maybe you have some, you know, whatever. You know, and they were all huddling around me. I said, no, it's, you know. So I left. I went upstairs in the seminary, and there was these old newspapers sitting around, and then there was a strange thing. There was this newspaper from Grand Rapids. Remember where I had gone to get a job? I opened the newspaper... And uh, on the front page, there was the lead story was about a helicopter that had crashed. It was the helicopter service that I had got hired at. 
whoa. Now, there were three shifts. I may not have been the one that was there that died, but in my mind, I was like, I could have died. God saved me from that. And that was the same time I heard about this sanctuary thing. I went, whoa, this is something else. Boom. I said, man, i got to take a look at this. Now, you know, after Adventists discovered the sanctuary message, they discovered the Sabbath message. And in my relationship with Luminitsa, my wife-to-be, remember I told you that she is like, she wanted it all? Remember how I met her yesterday? I said, like, took the great controversy, and I was going through girls. Well, I was starting to get close to her, and she told me that, she told me one day, she says to me, she goes, Don, you know, I work in the hospital. I work there in Hensdale Hospital, and, uh, down in Chicago, and, uh, and I don't ever take any money for the times that I work on Sabbath. And I was like, what? I mean, I was part of this vegetarian rebellion that works every Sabbath and says it's holy because God says you can take care of the sick, you know, and my bank account was getting pretty big because I've got those double shifts. And here my girlfriend, you know, who wanted it all was saying, I don't take any of that money. And she has this Sabbath thing and she'd give gifts to other people. And I said, man, whoa. And then she said to me, I think you should do that too. I was like, I'm not doing that. But then it ate on me, so I decided to try it. I hadn't fully committed here, but I started to try this. I was working in this emergency department in the middle of Benton Harbor. Very low socioeconomic area. A lot of people didn't have any insurance of any kind. So I started to save up my Sabbath money. And I had my Sabbath money, and every time I'd go in, I'd, I'd put this thing in. I, then I decided, I'm going to start giving my money away. <laughs> there is nothing more interesting than giving money away. I started buying these crutches for this guy or medication for another guy and this guy. Pretty soon, the word got all the way around that city block. And every time, you know, they were like calling up, Is Don there? Don there? So I'm, I'm there, you know. And pretty soon, one day I came to work, and I, and I got to work, no lie. I got to work, and they had figured out I was coming to work, and there was this line at the door of the emergency department that went out the door and went right down and sorted down the city block. They were lined up. And I said, what's going on? What's happening here? They said, oh, there he is! You know, and I came, and I was like, yes, here I am! Whoa, whoa, you know? I mean, that was the closest I ever found, ever came to feeling like, you know, the whole, whole city came out to greet him kind of thing, you know. So I go in and I'm just spent, I'm giving money to this one and that one and they're coming through and they're coming through and you know what? The hospital started getting a bit concerned about this. And so the supervisor calls me and her name is Lori. She calls me in and she says, uh, uh, Don, um, tell me what's happening here. And I said, well, um, Lord, I, I felt convicted that the seventh day is the Sabbath. And, and since Jesus never got paid for doing miracles any day, and especially on the Sabbath, I decided not to uh, take the money and I just give it away like, like Jesus did. Or he didn't do that, but he wouldn't have kept the money, you know, and I explained it to her. And she listened. And so she goes, okay. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Um, okay, so I go back. About 45 minutes later, she calls me back and interrupts. She goes, I've worked on the schedules for the rest of the year, Don, 
and I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is you're still working here. Maybe it's bad news to you, but uh, we don't want you working any Friday nights or any Sabbaths ever here. Now, I did go in when there was an emergency from time to time, but you know what this taught me? This taught me uh, a lot of things. I've kept, I kept that practice up with Sabbath money, and I shared it with some physicians in my church where I moved. And you know those physicians started doing the same thing. They put all their money in a Sabbath fund. And you know what happened? You know what's happening even today? The entire city is being impacted with Sabbath money. People that come to our health classes, Sabbath money helps them go through. People that are in need, Sabbath money helps them. And you know what else I noticed about the physicians that did this versus the ones that didn't? The physicians that did it, their practices have exponentially grown. I've got a guy in my church, his name's Dr. Bryant. When I got there, he was the administrator of four different facilities, like the medical directory. Now he's the medical director of 18. He had to hire more PAs, more staff, all these different things. And I began to learn and have learned over the years that there's a great blessing in the Sabbath. The church itself was a great blessing for me. Look, this is how I met my wife. I met my wife with this great controversy thing, but I was not sure and certainly she was not sure of me and her dad was totally unsure of me. The only way we could meet at all was at church with many eyes watching. It's probably a pretty good idea, too, because, well, you know why, because. And so I went to this church, and I got involved in this church, and as I was involved in the church, the pastor of the church was very concerned with my presentation style. So he put, (laughs) for some reason, let me tell you what happened. You want me to tell you what happened? (laughs) This is not funny, but it is funny. I mean, when I think back on it, it's not funny, though, really. It just was immature and naive. He asked me to do a sermon one day, and so I did this sermon, (laughs) and I decided to preach on the text that where it says you need to be a saver to life and not a saver of death. And so for my illustration for what a saver of life was, I had this very nice smelling perfume and every time I'd say something about a savor of life and then as I'd talk about a savor of death I'd take this other bottle out which was Aquanet hairspray oh the worst awful smell in the world I go and I went through two bottles I was oh man I was preaching and there were these fans in the room and everybody started to look kind of like you know cemented and placed and I was like oh man and there were like three or four pregnant ladies there and the pregnant ladies were like man I've had a pregnant wife now I'm surprised I lived through this and one of them went was thrown up in the bathroom and the pastor was going I tell you no lie that finally it got down to my level. Since I was an emergency room nurse, I had in my pocket an ammonium inhalant. (laughs) And I had to use it with myself! (laughs) Thank the Lord for a church that doesn't kick you out when you make mistakes. Amen? But I didn't preach for a while after that. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, man, I tell you, folks, a ministry of mistakes. Everybody remembered me at the supermarket. Hey, uh, getting some hairspray. <laughs> oh, but then, but then, but then the, look, the church is wonderful, man. I mean, they were so kind. The pastor didn't come out and say, you idiot. We're never going to do that again. He just goes, done. I, I, I have a special assignment for you. Well, what would you like me to do, uh, Skip? This is Skip McCartney from Pioneer Memorial. He says, well, I, I think you should observe in the crater wall department. I was reduced from up front to the cradle roll department. You know what the most important part of the church is? The cradle roll department. That's where people start coming back when they're finding God again. Never minimize that. I begin to see these moms, young moms coming back. They didn't have good relationship with their God parents or peers. And then finally when they have a kid, they come back to church. And it's the very first time. And I saw that. And I just had to do what they said. You know, I learned all the songs. Jesus makes my heart all black with sin. Satan does. Jesus makes it white when he comes in. Whiter than the snow. Yes, whiter than the snow. And when Satan tempts me, I say, no, no, no. That's a great song, man. That like summarizes the temptations of Jesus, you know. No, no, no. My little girl sings it now all the time. Sometimes not even when she should. (laughs) So I learned that. Then they let me move to the kindergarten room. Then finally to the junior room. But in the junior room, I had one day which I said, let's make a joyful noise unto the Lord day. I had them bring trumpets and drums and stuff because we were like, like we had just crossed the Red Sea and we were rejoicing over the enemies who had been destroyed. And we were running around the room, boom, 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 boom. And you know, they loved it. And the skip came down faster. Back to the kindergarten room. Did you know in that church, in this, church, I'm serious, I went back to the kindergarten room. This was the best possible thing for me. The church had become my frontal lobe. You see the beauty of the church? At the same time, Luminitsa, my little light, this little light of mine, I used to sing. That's my wife now. She was going as well. We got to observe each other. We got to get involved. And we got to learn what we did under situation. She saw me get devoted to cradle roll. She'd come and visit me, bring me a pacifier. <laughs> Whatever. Finally, as I was there in that church for a few years, five years to be exact, I moved up to get an adult Sabbath school class. And it was almost a tie to not give me an adult Sabbath school class the first time. But I learned my lessons. Amen? This is what the church is for. The church is a beautiful and wonderful thing. I didn't imagine it. I was One day I went to this board meeting and they had voted about the head elder. And they said, I need to go out of the womb. I was actually being considered to be head elder. But when I came back in, the church had voted to make me the lay associate pastor and I'd gotten this ecclesiastical call from the church of God from the seventh day Adventist church and I began to have this sense of purpose that came as a result of that you see why I'm happy about the church it makes mistakes but can you see why I'm saying I'm so happy about this 
I'm happy about the message of the church. Look at this message with me. Maybe my church is a three angels church, but every Adventist church is a three angels church because the message of the Adventist church is Revelation 14, 6 and 7 is the first angel's message. This is what it says. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth. You know what I like about that? There's this angel and he's flying in heaven. Don't you think that's cool? Why is that cool? Because today, we need a message that is above everything else. We've got to know the message is from God. Amen? We've got to know it's high and lifted up, don't we? We can't be talking with one another between ourselves and think we're going to figure it out. We need to know this is a message from God. We need to see Jesus. Do you believe that? Secondly, it says it comes with a loud voice. How many of you glad it's loud? And so you know it's his voice. I wish I could go through the whole three angels mess with you and break it down for you practically. Maybe sometime I'll get to do that. But let me just say this. I mentioned this last night. Seventh-day Adventist church has its problems. Like any church. You look through all the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 and they all had problems except two. And those were the churches that were persecuted. Every single era of the church got problems. You can focus on the problems. The way God cleans his church is by the alimentary canal. He's got an evacuation system. You know what it is? Amputation or elimination. Heresies, that's bad teachings within. They lead people out of the church. They are evacuated through the alimentary canal. Amputation is when they say, I'm going to leave the church and I'm going to be holier than you. God purifies his church that way. Now I want to end with one last story here that I think, to me, has just shown the power of the church. I've given my life to the church, not because it's perfect, because, but because Jesus says it's the supreme object of his regard, and that he wants to make it perfect. He wants to bring it into unity with it, because he wants us to get back to normal. When I started working for the church, I had a new love for the God with the voice from above, that angel flying, and that loud voice reminded me that those two voices come to, those two metaphors, we see him and we savor him and we hear him and we herald him. Those two things come together in what's called preaching. And I love preaching because it changes people's lives. If I looked at your brain from the beginning of the week till now, I could see changes chemically in your mind. You've been changed by the preaching of the word. And I've seen it in lives. I told the story briefly last night. I want to close with it here for this week. My brother-in-law, 16 years old, his parents got divorced. He was thrown into just a wreck of emotions. Didn't have any father figure. They were all consumed with their divorce. Divorce is a terrible thing, especially for teenagers. And his brain was in flux there, and he got into the occult. He started to do weird things like walk through cemeteries and started to cut his hands and make blood covenants with people and he got all into Dungeons and Dragons and he got further and further and further away. And finally we lost complete track of him and I was praying one day, I said, Oh God, help me find Richard. 
And I got a phone call from this person that had said they saw Richard. So I called this guy. I said, you saw Richard? It was from an Adventist church way out in California. He said, yes, I saw him in this McDonald's, and he said he was heading to Arizona. So I called my friend in Arizona who I knew. I went to the conference directory, and I called him, and I said, look, he said he was going to Arizona. And I said, do you, do you happen to know where he might be in Arizona? This guy goes, Don, Arizona's a big place. But I have an idea, he said. And he went down to this place that was right near his church. I said, what would be the place near your church? Twelve miles from this guy's house, Richard had just been there. My brother-in-law had just been there. How, How would you think of that? He had left, though. But the guy there gave a phone number, and he gave the phone number to me. So I called the phone number up, I said... I called the phone number and I called this guy. This guy's name was Lance. Lance answers, hello. I said, hey, look, I'm looking for Rich, man. I'm out of stuff. He says, uh, who is this? <laughs> and he says, well, I don't know where Rich is, but I, I know that he was with so-and-so. And he gave me this lady's number. So I called this lady's number in Chicago. I said, I'm looking for Rich. He's with your daughter and I think your daughter's in danger because this lady wouldn't answer the phone. So then she answers the phone. What do you mean he's in danger? And I said, hey, look, I don't know what's going on, but I need the number. So I got the number. He was in Colorado. I, I, I phoned in Colorado. I called Colorado, and I, and I dialed the number in Colorado to her daughter, and her daughter answered. And her daughter was heavily into the cult and kind of like a witch. And I said, I didn't know any of this, but I said, hey, I'm looking for Richard Constantinescu. Is he there? And she goes, yes. Richard got on the phone. I said, hey, Richard, this is Don. He goes, Don? Talk to me. He says, how'd you get my number? Why this and that? Then he hung up on me. I reversed the call. I found out the address. I called the airlines. I got a ticket to go to that place. I said, I'm going to that place before he leaves. I get a bereavement fare. I get on, I'm going to get ready to go on the flight. It's going to leave the next morning at 5 o'clock. I'm ready because I see Richard is really in trouble. He's perhaps going to end his life. I don't know, but I know what my experience was like. And I'm going to go and find him. I call the pastor of the church there. See how the church is all over in this? I called the pastor of the church there. I said, hey, would you go down? In the middle of the night, I called this guy. He gets up, gets in his car. He drives down. He finds my brother-in-law's car. He parks his car right behind the car so he can't get out. I told him to take the wheels off, but he didn't feel comfortable. So he parked his car right there behind the car, and he parks it there. And he calls me back. I got my car there. And, and, and I said, okay, I'm on the way. In the middle of the night then, 3 o'clock in the morning, Richard calls me up. He goes, hey, man, I'm glad you found me. I'm really in trouble, and I don't know if I'm even going to make it to the morning. And I said, Richard, I'm on the way. I'm on the way. I'm on the way, Richard. He goes, I just want to get back to normal. I just need to come home. I flew out there the next day. I was on the way. I flew. I had, didn't have a return ticket. I, was, <laughs> I went out there. I got out. I drove up to the town. I found the car right there. The minister picked me up. We went over there. We drove there. We went to the door. I go to the door. I knock on the door, and there's that lady. The girl. She's a witch. She goes, we've been expecting you. 
her whole interior of her room is dark, black, screens covered. On one wall, she has a picture of Christ crucified. On the other wall, she has some Sanskrit scriptures. And then she has this candle with red paraffin all over it. And the other wall dangling with a black light, which she turned on for me when I came in, is this big skull. And she goes, be seated. Man, I got the heebie-jeebies. I sat, I, I sat down and I said, you have some interesting artwork. What does it mean? Don't ever ask questions of people that are directed by the devil. But I didn't know that then. I hadn't read Genesis 3 recently. So, as I'm sitting, she goes, actually, death is our friend. I said, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I tell you that death is an enemy. And I got up, I pulled out a little cheap black light, turned off the skull, and walked to the door. I said, Richard, we got to go. And Richard goes, well, I want you to witness to her. I said, we will witness by leaving. Shaking the dust from our feet. Picked up Richard's stuff, got him in the car. I almost had to drag him. He's going, no, I think we should talk to her. The devil, when he gets a hold of you, wants to kill you, wants to take you down. I wanted to go to the University of Colorado bookstore to get a book on the brain. And when I did, Richard was trying to get me to go back, and I realized I couldn't even stay there a minute in that city. Boulder, Colorado. I mean, it's where every freaky person in the world goes. It's eight miles surrounded by complete reality. So I got in the car and I started to drive. Richard had so many delusions. He would say this, and the text would come to mind, and I'd say the text. He'd say that, another text would come to mind. And the Bible says you cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself. And I began to just, these texts came to my mind. and I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy on Richard with God's Word. And as I went along, it just was ringing me out, and I just kept talking. Nine hours later, we're driving into Kansas, and Richard says, Don, I want to get back to normal, but out of one eye, I see Jesus, and out of the other eye, I see the pits of hell, and that was it. I couldn't take it anymore. I slammed the brakes on. He went forward in his seat. He looked at me, and I said, Don't you ever say something like that again! And he goes, All right, dude. He goes, Please, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I said, Richard, what we need to do is bathe you in God's Word. I took him to Colorado, another place this time, not the same place, in the mountains for three weeks. We read Mind Cure from the book Ministry of Healing. We memorized text together, and I gave him text after text after text. That was the beginning of a course for Richard. A course for Richard that he still maintains today. He's now memorized over 2,000 texts. Just this year, Dwight Nelson, Pioneer Memorial, another university out in Michigan, asked him, Richard, would you help lead us in scripture memory for this church? A thousand people showed up. 250 have remained consistent. They're all memorizing the word. Richard now is a person of the word. He has purpose. He has a plan. He understands the presence of God. 
he's back to normal. How many of you want to get back to normal? I believe the church is a place where you can get back to normal. It's imperfect. And yet it's God's agency. I want to encourage you to recommit your life to the church. Maybe through baptism. If you haven't joined it, that's the symbol of death to self and resurrection to walk with Christ. Maybe through a recommitment through communion. And why not recommit your life to him if you want to? If you've made the decision about God, if you've made the decision about your parents and about your friendships, I encourage you to join the church and get in that support group. Would you think about that? Would you think about recommitting to that? Let me pray with you before we end. It's been a delight to be with you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, today we're thankful that your definition of normal is filled with fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. We want to get back to normal. We ask that you would go with us. We're thankful for this relationship seminar. We're thankful that you, in fact, are a relationship and define all of them for us. As we go into this weekend, as we think about courtship and marriage, we ask that you would continue to lead. And we thank you and we come in Christ's name. Amen.